from some experience that I was adopted as a baby and I grew up, I had amazing, my parents were amazing, grew up, had a great, great life. Um, and then I found my birth mom 10 years ago and I was just blown away. She, I never met her since I was a little wee baby and born. She actually went vegetarian when she was eight years old and I went vegetarian when I was eight years old and she went like on and off. But when I met her for the first time, she had like a giant cow painting and was like donating to the SBCA and just like, so she had this inherent compassion and and care for animals and the world and the environment that I had I didn't grow up around like I grew up around my dad would throw rocks at cats and like my parents wouldn't let me have any animals and like didn't get didn't get that compassion for other human beings and like that greater mission that wasn't really a part of my upbringing um and I saw that in my birth mom hi there veggie mates you just heard from this week's special guest Michelle Kane I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this is the Veg Talk Podcast. Welcome back for another week to the regular listeners, and welcome to the show if this is your first time tuning in. It's great to have you here, and thank you for taking the time to listen. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by you, and it has been for the past 53 shows. To be honest, without you, this podcast would not exist. If you'd like to support the show, please head over to the Apple Podcast application and leave a five-star rating along with a short review. It takes about one to two minutes and really helps this show reach more people around the world. Sharing your favorite episode on social media is also a huge help, reaches a lot more people and totally free. We also have Patreon accounts set up, so if you're in a position to donate a buck or two a month, you can find us at patreon.com slash vegtalk. So thank you for sponsoring the first 54 episodes of this podcast and likely more in the future. I really do appreciate it. Now, let's shift our focus to this week's amazing guest, Michelle Kane from worldofvegan.com. It's likely that you already know Michelle from her account on Instagram. If not, it's an easy one to find. The handle is at vegan the account is full of delicious food and artwork that will pull on your heartstrings with over 1 million followers michelle's work is reaching people around the entire world and helping many to change their lives through a shift in diet we take a deep dive into michelle's life today so you'll hear some of her most personal experiences and also gain some insight into what it takes to create a media platform and make it work for you full time There's much more in store for you today as well, including vegan weddings, having children, and how perfectionism is harmful to the movement and ultimately to the animals. So let's jump in. I hope you enjoy the show today. As always, I'll catch you on the other side to wrap things up. We are rolling for round two at the Kane residence here (laughs) in Sacramento. Thanks so much for the space, actually, Michelle. It's been Super helpful, so Thank I do appreciate you for it. For coming here, it's such a treat. We didn't have to go anywhere. You just brought your setup. Like this is amazing. There's cookies, there's strawberries, there's <laughs> banana bread. Yeah, you picked the right time when Tony and I have been recipe testing for our upcoming cookbook. So, <laughs> well, we're we're stoked with the timing. But, yep. ladies and gentlemen, we're here today with Michelle Kane, the founder of World of Vegan. Uh, I'm sure you've come across her page. Uh, it is extremely well known. Um, just a huge platform and you have been working extremely hard for over a decade on on all of your crafts. Uh, much like Tony, you guys have got, you know, 
a lot of projects you're always juggling and uh, yeah, we thank you for your work. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> not a problem, not a problem. So let's, uh, let's get into it and if we can just hear a little bit about, you know, what it was like for you growing up, where you grew up and uh, yeah, eventually <laughs> what it was like for you, um, you know, when you came across veganism or vegetarianism, whatever it might have been first, but yeah, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Definitely. Um, I grew up in Oakland, California, about an hour and a half from here. Pretty progressive, diverse area. And um, I, yeah, you're surrounded by every type of cuisine, type of food, fast food, fancy food, whole foods, like, uh, you know, just every type of food. And I never really thought that deeply about like my food, where it came from, whatever. We just go to the grocery store, get normal food. And, you know, I'd see other kids when I was really young going to places like Burger King or McDonald's or whatever. And I found out they had toys in, in like their Happy Meals. And I would like beg my parents to take me and get uh, Burger King or whatever had a Happy Meal with a toy, even though I didn't even care so much about the food. So I had a pretty traditional upbringing with food when I was young. But when I was eight years old, I made the connection between the food on my plate and animals, which I had always been a huge animal lover um, all growing up. And so I remember one time I watched a movie about a lamb and the lamb's mom like died and the lamb was so sad. (laughs) And I would like watch this movie again and again and just like cry. And that night for dinner, my mom had made lamb with mint jelly which was like one of my favorite foods apparently at that time and she made some offhanded comment about how like oh this is interesting this is like the lamb we saw in the video and I was like what are you talking about like I thought meat was just named after animals or I just had never made that connection before like this was an animal and that did I was like what like this is a this is a lamb I don't want to eat lambs I don't want to eat any animals and I pushed my plate away and my mom was like okay, honey, that's called vegetarian. Like, I didn't know there was a word for that. I had never met other people who um, were vegetarian or I never, I just had never thought about food beyond just something yummy on your plate (laughs) or something that you had to eat on your plate or, you know, whatever it was. Um, So at that moment, I became a vegetarian, never again consciously ate meat. And uh, I was eight years old, so I really wasn't exposed to a whole lot. I was just like, my mom was like, all right, you know, you're going to make yourself dinners. So I'd like have cereal for dinner or like pasta for dinner (laughs) from like age eight. That's pretty much all I ate. And uh, yeah, I just kind of like evolved from there, like since then. And at that point, I knew nothing about like factory farming or like the animals caged or any of that stuff. Um, the way that animals are treated in the industries, I just, I just knew like an animal had to be killed to be on my plate and I didn't want to be the cause of ending a life of an animal. Um, but yeah, and as the years went on, I think I found research or maybe got like a PETA leaflet or something showing factory farming and like the way that animals are bred on farms and raised on farms and killed on farms. And I was just horrified. And like at that moment when I learned about the realities of the animal agriculture industry it changed from being just like a personal decision like i don't want to cause the death of an animal to this is wrong like if people knew this or if anyone saw this they'd be horrified and at that at that point um i was still very very young but it became my mission to like 
I need to make people aware of this and like let people know about it and save these animals. So I became like a little micro activist, even though I had never like seen an activist before. I'd never really been exposed to any um, like world changers or anyone with like the path of like changing the world. I was just like, no one cares about this issue. No one knows what's going on. Like I need to change this. And that's sort of how it all began. (laughs) Well, Turns out that, you know, you didn't need the, you didn't need the influencer. You right. certainly became, you know, the, the influencer yourself. And yeah, it, it speaks volumes in, in what you've been able to do since then. What I thought was interesting out of all of that is the fact that we, as, as kids, you know, we so often are unable to make the connection uh, between what's on the plate and the animals. Do you think it's because we give it names like meat? We give it names like beef. We give it names like, you know, euphemisms, I suppose, pork. And they're they're not directly linked to uh, the animal. Or we put it in like chicken nuggets and they're like, you know, fun shapes, breaded um, and and obviously delicious. Right. Uh, But is that a contributor, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, so much about the way that meat and dairy and eggs are marketed to us is about... making sure we're not seeing the connection of what it actually is because when we do it's not something that seems like food to us and everything from the names we give it like you just mentioned I'm not calling it by the actual animal's name um and then how it's packaged like the labels at the grocery store I mean until I was eight I had never seen meat on an animal like I had just never been exposed to now, sometimes you go to the grocery store and you see a, a cow hanging and they're like slicing pieces of the cow. I'd never even seen anything like that. So turkey came in slices and it was just a product like any other food product that we buy at the store. And I just, I had no awareness of it. And I'm sure that that is like common across human humanity, especially in America. I know in a lot of other cultures, it's a lot more easy to see like this comes from an animal, but in America, it's all packaged, processed and like hidden from us in every way possible. Yeah, definitely. I think if you compare it to, you know, a country like Mexico, not far away, just south of the border, if you go through a market in Mexico, it's a totally different experience to going through uh, a market or a supermarket here in America. You're well aware in Mexico right, of, of what's going on. Right. Um, but yeah, here it's definitely, yeah, it's hidden. It's hidden even to the extent where if you go on a road trip, uh, it's rare to see something like a factory farm. Right. I think they're very intentionally positioned um, places away from the human eye where, yeah, we're not going to discuss that because we're not going to pass it. Um, so Exactly. Yeah. And that's all very, very intentionally done. The other fascinating thing with kids, though, is so, so many of our young experience with animals and books and stuff and nursery rhymes and fairy tales and stuff are around old McDonald's farm. And so we see animals on a farm and how I didn't make the connection and so many other kids don't make the connection. I'm not really sure (laughs) because it's like, these are farm animals, but it's never at the end of the book. Like then they're killed and put into packages and that's what you see at the grocery store. Like, so we have like part of it, just making farms just seem so shiny and innocent that I think when kids do make that connection of this meat comes from an animal from those farms we read about as kids they're they're seeing the farms in such a positive light that unless the very idea of killing an animal 
is so hurtful to them. Like they would just say, oh, you know, when my parents do it, my parents want me to do it. My parents won't let me go vegetarian or whatever. And so they just move beyond uh, questioning that in any way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there is definitely a point where it kind of just gets put to bed. Yeah. And we move on and we're happy with the way the normal the, just the we're norm. happy with the norm exactly. it's interesting i used to babysit a lot when i was younger and at the time i was i was vegetarian but I, I wasn't yet vegan i didn't really talk about being vegetarian a lot it was just like who i was and the kids inevitably like all the different kids i would babysit over the years would be like why aren't you eating meat why don't you eat like oh you're vegetarian i want to go vegetarian too or like i asked my mom and she said when i'm older i can make that decision and pretty pretty much all of them went through this period of like oh, I want to do that. I don't want to eat animals. And then they'd talk to their parents and their parents would say like, uh, you're going to eat what we put on the table or like, this is why we eat meat. And then it would like quiet them enough to think, I can make that decision when I'm older. Like we can drive when we're older and we can vote when we're older. And when we're young, we don't have the autonomy to make that decision. And it just shuts down that thought. And by the time they're older, they're past it. And it's heartbreaking. Like on YouTube, when I post videos, they reach a lot of younger people and I'll often have kids that say, I really want to do this and my mom won't let me or my parents won't let me. I'm too young. I don't have uh, the ability to make this decision for myself now, but I'll totally do. I can't wait to like grow up and be able to do it. And so I think like a big part of where I feel inspired in my work is to help try and empower young people to know like this is your decision. Like this is your body. Advocate for yourself Um, and like here's how you can help your parents understand or see if they'll watch this, this documentary, like trying to uh, give the power back to them and feel like they have like some say over their life, especially for something that means a lot to them. Yeah. I think it's rare that, I suppose it's rare that kids, even if that's what they want to do, get the opportunity right. to fully live out that idea Right. that they, you know, they want to save animals by being a vegetarian or a vegan. I, I think, yeah, we've fielded some similar questions through the, the podcast about like, you know, I'm a teenager. How can, how can I do this? Right. So I suppose for you, having been given somewhat, you know, power over what you're eating at eight years old. Yeah, I was really lucky. Like my parents didn't push that back that much and I was just pretty strong-willed anyway at that point. So if they had said no, to, I'd fight back. <laughs> <laughs> but... But yeah, I was really lucky to have that opportunity for them to to allow me to explore. Yeah. So from the days of cereal and pasta, how did it kind of transform for you? Oh my gosh, well, this is embarrassing. For probably a decade, my main meals were like pasta and I'd dump on Parmesan cheese and cereal and I'd pour tons of milk in it. And it was just like dairy and carbs. <laughs> like it was really, <laughs> that was really what it was. And I was like... The doctors never saw a problem. I was always like healthy and athletic. And so it, I was fine, but that's certainly by no means optimal health. Like I was probably getting my vitamins through additives and cereal and in <laughs> additives and milk and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I was just never, I, I never really had to think about health. I was really lucky to have, um, to just like be athletic and healthy enough by, genetics or DNA that I never really had to think about that and it wasn't actually until I went vegan and started having to look beyond those staple foods that I'd been leaning on for so long that I started exploring beyond that and realized like what health really was 
and how I could really be fueling my body optimally and with nutrition. And yeah, when I switched from vegetarian to vegan, I got a million times healthier (laughs) and, you know, my diet became so much more diverse and, um, and exciting and just awesome. It was just, I thought it was going to be a huge sacrifice and it ended up just opening the world to me of food. What were the, I mean, the resources that you had at the time, because you know, this is pre like Netflix right. as an example. It's pre the Beyond Burger, the Impossible <laughs> Burger. And I, I think now we take some of these things for granted as ways of consuming information and finding new products is relatively simple. Right. Uh, but the trailblazers of the movement <laughs> like yourself definitely had some other obstacles to go through. Right. So what were the, the main go-to resources for you Mm-hmm. And did that experience inspire your move towards blogging? Um, yeah. So probably why I did vegetarianism so poorly. <laughs> and I say that because I had such a limited diet and never pushed beyond that is because I did, there weren't really any resources. I mean, even the internet was like a relatively new thing. Um, and then there weren't bloggers or YouTuber. There's no one you could follow that was like you or doing what you wanted to do. You really just had to create and pave the path on your own. And for me, it was not, I didn't go into it for health or for any reason other than the animals. So I thought this is a sacrifice I'm making and whatever that means is fine for my body because I'm saving the animals lives. So I didn't really take health into mind. Um, And as I, got older and the resources, well, when I went vegan in college and I started realizing that there's a much better way, I could have been getting all of the health benefits of being vegetarian and then being vegan, um, plus helping animals, plus helping the environment, plus like eating amazing, delicious food. I realized like, oh my gosh, like if the resources were only at people's fingertips and uh, people felt like they had a friend and, a, and a, just an ally in what they were doing and a, and a role model too, that this path, they could skip the 15 years <laughs> of not doing it well that I went through and just go right like pretty easily into thriving in a plant-based and vegan lifestyle. Yeah, because I mean, in terms of like the blogosphere and, and YouTube, you're kind of like OG, Yeah, YouTube had been around for, let's see, I started my YouTube channel more than 10 years ago and it it was relatively new. YouTube started when I was in college and I went vegan in college and then it was at the very end of college that I started a YouTube channel or immediately after I graduated. And at the time, there were a couple other um, like resources online and blogs online that I would follow for information or inspiration and like YouTube was a thing so like you could see some other bloggers blogging about other topics but I was like oh my gosh like this needs to be like I want to be a resource for people who don't who are like in Texas or in wherever and just don't have these resources I want to be a virtual friend and so that's what made me start blogging I didn't own a camera I was petrified of being on camera (laughs) I'm super introverted and shy so like it was a very uncomfortable place for me to go um but by that time I had been vegan for a couple years. I had some friends who were involved in animal advocacy and they encouraged me, uh, like, look, this is something you could do that could be a huge impact of you as an activist helping animals. And so I was like, okay, I'll try it. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, put started putting videos out there and pretty soon after more and more people started to pick up channels and start producing awesome content. Um, but in the beginning it was, yeah, it was a very, 
new territory. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I, I, I can't really imagine what it would have you know been like to be one of those early adopters of YouTube. I mean, even the technology that we have at our hands right now has changed drastically. Phones, like now you can film on your phone. Now anyone can start a YouTube channel, which they could have then. But like I used the camera that was in my computer. So I'd be talking at my computer. <laughs> it's like now it's so foreign. Like you have flip cams and little cams and cell phone cams and anywhere, anytime. Like you can flip out your phone and record. But um, yeah, it was, it was very different. Um, also much lower quality, but like the expectations were lower back then. Totally. So yeah. Worked out. Definitely. And I mean, with your work, it's, it's visually inspiring, like in terms of, yeah you know, the photography that you do and the videography that mm -hmm. you, you do. Was this something that always interested you? Were you always into to those, um, you know, those types of things and you wanted to incorporate it into your advocacy online? I'd always been uh, drawn to visual things and I learned best through visuals and when I'm cooking, I want to see a picture of what I'm cooking and stuff. And at the time, like in the cookbooks that I'd have that were vegan, there were no, no pictures or sometimes they'd have like a little insert with a few photos. And when you looked online or even you got like passed a pamphlet from an organization, it was kind of archaic looking like it had been designed 10 years ago or just things were not pretty things were not visual and a lot of the bloggers there would write blogs but there'd be no image with a blog which today is like unheard of but at the time that's where I was like oh god like I want vegan living to be fun and bright and colorful and accessible and like warm and inviting and not like these like cold hard pamphlets with only horrific images and then like you go to the store and the products that you're buying are like called nutritional yeast and look like they were made five decades ago you know I just wanted to help it brighten it up a bit um and so I had no experience with that I, I didn't do photography or anything but I was actually gifted a DSLR camera uh, by a family member um and I started volunteering for animal shelter or animal sanctuaries and nonprofit organizations who were just like you have a camera can you come take pictures at our event and so it was my way of volunteering I'd bring my camera and I'd try and get better and better so I could do a better job as a volunteer for the organizations and then I just really developed a super passion for it I think anyone who's into photography I mean I'm sure you know like the further you get in the more you're just like I love this like things are so beautiful and to be able to capture that and share that and and package information that's heavy and and like deep and powerful and impactful and and bring it to um people in a like lighter brighter way or just a realist what, however you see it however you want to help bring it out to people it gives you a huge power to have like the lens to use that for and I also very much struggled with communicating and my my own voice like I used to think if I want to help animals I need to be able to be a public speaker, but I'm petrified of public speaking. Like I'm nervous, like even talking on camera, I'd be so shy and nervous. And it, I just always felt like I wasn't communicating well or, or I'd leave and I'd be like, oh, I didn't express myself well. I just didn't do the animals justice with what I just shared. But with the camera, like I could just, I felt like I was able to capture um, the way I wanted to see something or the way I wanted people to see something and show people. And it was like actually what I wanted to convey, which was, a nice feeling too <laughs> beautiful so you felt really at home yeah with the camera that's mm -hmm. cool because i think there is an idea that kind of floats around that there is only one way of activism yeah and that's the 
the animal activism, the street activism, the save vigils and all that kind of stuff. And whilst I believe all of that is super important, bringing that to light is powerful. Not everybody is drawn to that form of activism. So Mm -hmm. to see that you had an opportunity elsewhere, well, yeah, it's definitely what you picked up and ran with. So how did that start to evolve with, uh, you know, the YouTube and the blog? When did they kind of intersect as well? Were they started at the same time? Were they started separately? How did this part start to evolve for you? Mm -hmm. So I started making videos. My channel used to be called Vegan Break, bite-sized vegan videos. So that was like the early name on YouTube. And I I started a little blog called Vegan Break. So I just basically whenever I published a video, I'd publish a little blog post with it. Um, And then all the while, like I was doing this on the side of of jobs. I'd work for nonprofit organizations or whoever I was working um, for many, many years. And then about maybe five years ago, I um, decided to try and see if I could uh, just focus on advocacy work and blog work and just all the work I was doing full time, sort of full time. Um, And... And I wanted to start World Vegan as a place, like a resource that felt, um, I just felt like there wasn't something out there that was, that covered vegan living and animal advocacy, but in a way that was very warm and welcoming and non-judgmental and cut off the things that made me feel like they were a turnoff. Like I will never share this article from this website because if my family members see other things that are written there, it'll be a huge turnoff for them. So I just tried to have like, I wanted to create a space that is the resource I wanted to share with people who were new to wanting to learn about vegan living. And so that's when I created World of Vegan and started trying to work on my own. And I honestly, I never thought I'd be successful. I'd be able to um, pay my bills and survive while creating content online. Like it just didn't, I thought I'm going to try this because I had some other friends who are also creators who were like, you've got to try this. Like they gave me the courage. Um, but I thought for sure in a few months, I'll probably be applying for any of these other number of jobs with a, you know, plant-based meat company or whatever. Uh, and I'm so glad that I took that leap because it's just crazy how, um, especially if you've volunteered a lot and you've like been there for other people and other organizations and stuff, like how things will, can just come together and happen. And, and how when you're like taking a big risk and a big leap that feels really scary, like you just have a hustle, like a level of hustle <laughs> that's like unmet. At like in no time in my life had I ever felt such a strong level of like, no one thinks I can do this. I don't think I can do this. So I'm going to give it everything I have. Um, and, and yeah, it's here I am five years later and I still, I just two months ago left my last, um, like freelance job for someone else. So I'm now fully focused on World of Vegan and we just started hiring a, a little tiny part-time team and stuff. So it's been um it's been really cool to see to see it kind of happen and grow, but it's definitely not an easy an easy path as I'm sure you guys know. That was going to be my next question because yeah. you know, you you decided to take the leap at a time where I suppose it was more unknown. Mm-hmm. Now we do see you know the the wide range of people that are able to make a living from multiple platforms online. Right. And that was going to be my question. It can often be perceived as easy. Oh, that person like makes videos. 
for a living. Oh, that person, yeah, writes blog posts online for a living. What a life. <laughs> Tell yeah. us some of the obstacles and challenges because, you know, anyone can go to World of Vegan now. Anyone can go to your YouTube channel now and see the, the other end, the successful um, side of your business and, and what you've been able to create. But what we often don't share mm-hmm. is, you know, the obstacles, the, the hardships that might have happened along right. the way. Yeah, there's, yeah, a lot of people are just like, quit your job, do what you love, like go all in. And that's great. Some people can make that work. But I think if you really care about stepping into this and trying to make it work with the best chance possible, I worked for many, many years and saved as much money as I could, not traveling, not eating out so much, like anything I could do to save which then enabled me when I was going to take the risk and go out on my own to have that cushion. And they say you should have like, I don't know, three months or six months of cushion because you might need to get another job. Like it, you might make it work. You might need to get it another job. So doing that advanced work where you're doing your, your passion and your hustle or your advocacy on the side as much as you can while working a full-time job. And if you feel like that's too much, know that when you try and make your passion your full-time job, you're going to be working more than a full-time job anyway. So you really have to be able to have that level of like, like endurance, passion, motivation to like push through the, the amount of effort that it takes to, um, to, to just like create something yourself that's going to be sustainable. And then, yeah, for me, so I, I worked for a job for a long time, had saved up money, so I had a cushion. And then when I left my job and I decided to focus on World of Vegan full time, I was still doing wedding photography on the side. I was still doing a bunch of projects, freelance videography for animal sanctuaries and a shoot, like Kickstarter videos. Like I was hustling. And when I'd look back at the end of the day, I'd like count up all those hours I was working for other people. And it was a big percentage of my like normal work week. So I was still working a lot for other people. But the beautiful thing about that sort of transition, if you have some kind of skill that you can start doing freelance, like on the side as you're building up your advocacy career, is that I could start cutting them out as I was able to compensate with um, growing World Vegan or like now it's crazy. Now you can get brand sponsorships. Like once you grow an audience and I mean, if you're putting yourself out there, like you guys do on videos, um, and like sharing your authentic life and story, like you can really connect with people and grow an audience pretty fast. And that opens all sorts of new doors and Patreon. Like if people really resonate with your style of advocacy, they can basically donate to support you every month. And there's all these different revenue streams that you can be building up, but they take time and they take a lot of work and they, people aren't just going to donate to you the first second you start a podcast. Like you really have to earn people's trust in, in you being in it for the long haul and them valuing you as, as a creator or as whatever you're doing for advocacy and feeling like rather than donating to a nonprofit, I want to put my money in these people because I believe they can make a huge change. And so, yeah, I, I, I feel super passionate about like supporting and inspiring and helping other people who want to go on the path of doing something on their own because it just allows you to use the gifts that you have as an individual in the best possible way 
how you want to and in a way that's so fulfilling to like make the changes you want to see in the world um but yeah I'd, I'd I don't want to give the impression that it's easy because it's certainly not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's it's fulfilling and inspiring and it allows you to be creative on one side of the coin. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, the hustle that you're talking about, I suppose if you don't internally have the hustle, if you haven't previously experienced work that involves long hours or... Right. You do have to create it within yourself and, and find that, yeah, that power within yeah. yourself to, to keep the endurance up. Yeah. Uh, and you have to create to. and find a lot of your own opportunities. So networking and getting out there and like, um, I mean, you become an entrepreneur when you're working for yourself and as an introvert, there's a lot of things there that don't come naturally to me and you have to be able to push beyond that. Um, and I think that the more that you put yourself out there and connect with people, attend events, att- like volunteer, um, the more you connect, the easier it'll be um, because you have all these people rallying behind you. Um, and yeah, but it, <laughs> for sure, it's not for everyone. It's not a life for everyone. No, no, I would agree. I, it's not for everyone. Um, but if you can, if you can go the distance. Yes and add layers to your skill set, your networking, um, if you are an introverted person, to the outreach that you need to make, uh, whether it be companies, um, people, you know, it's it's not something we all possess on day one. Right. I think we live in that society now where it's immediate. Mm-hmm. You know, I post a photo, I want likes. Yeah. I post a video, I want shares. Yep. And if we apply that mentality to building what we want to be our future, it's just not going to add up. It's not going to work. Yeah. The interesting thing is uh, in my time when people would create content or blog online or anything like that, there was no thought of this will be a career. That wasn't an option. There was no making money online. Um, it, that just wasn't what it was about. So you were in it trying to use your voice or your, yourself to help the world in a way or help people in the way or just as an outlet for sharing whatever it was. It was a motivation that was not money or making this a career based. And I see a lot of those people who started that way be able to go further and longer and harder because it is such a gift when you find out, oh my God, like I can make $1.50 a month off of YouTube now. Like what? Like I could get a quarter of a coffee for that. Like it's just you're so grateful for every opportunity that you have. And I think it's a lot different now where you see so many people achieving great levels of success online. Um, But there's so many more people trying and it's like, it may have been easier, very lucky for some people, but for a lot of people, it it was not, it was not that a simple path or a simple road. Um, Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot you give up. Like for me, when I decided I wanted to work for myself, my husband and I were living a teeny tiny apartment. We had actually lived there for eight years, a little one bedroom apartment, a tiny kitchen and like talk about like the lighting and beautiful spacer and now like none of that. And I was filming and fo- taking photos and I would take photos in the bathroom because it was like the best light, like food <laughs> photos. Like we would be like cutting things by the toilet and like it, it, but in my head I was like, there's no way right now where I'm just trying to be able to 
survive working for myself that I could possibly think about moving somewhere else. And like just before that kind of phase of my life where I was working for a nonprofit, I was already like my husband and I were like, okay, we should start moving. Let's start thinking about places to live, like starting a family, like those things were in our head. And then I was like, no, I need to take a step back from those. What are my priorities right now? My priorities became that if I could apply myself full time to trying to help the world in the way that I want to, like that is my priority right now. And like, you'll get there. Like now I'm, now I have a home and I have like, I'm pregnant with a baby and like all of those things that I put off because I wanted to focus on my advocacy, um, came and came easier and I was like more prepared for them. And I, I feel ready for them because I got to achieve the things that I really was passionate about first. Um, but, but yeah, there, there's definitely like, you have to be ready to sacrifice. I mean, you guys live in a van. So <laughs> like you, you know, a thing about like, about sacrifice for being able to create the type of content you're doing and bring like really unique stuff to the world that no one else is doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we get that part of it for sure. Like yeah. uh, as a, I suppose, as a way to kind of give you a visual, you know, representation is yes, we've been living in a van for the majority of the last nine months moving around so that we can get the time to meet these people speak with these people and then just the last few days in san francisco we were staying with a friend they had a projector in their basement the size of the screen was the size maybe bigger than the floor plan of the van that we've been sleeping yeah and when we got that kind of like oh wow yeah we've been living in a pretty small space (laughs) to make at least make a start i won't even say like to make this happen because we have such a long way to go but to get the start and the connections and the people um that we've been able to meet has been priceless and yeah yeah, sure could have contacted you online i just don't believe that you get the same connection with a person right um so that was that was the idea behind it and we'll see we'll see how we go well and it's crazy because it's crazy when you find something you're really passionate about and you really want to do how the things like how big is my bed like how much space do I have like what possessions do I have like things that maybe matter to us at some point in life start not really mattering and that stuff doesn't really matter anyway you know and then once you get comfortable living in a van or in a small space or whatever you get comfortable sacrificing like the normal things that people are trying to achieve in life. You realize like I could really live on not a lot. And then you're more and more comfortable like taking the risks that it's needed to um, just the risks and the sacrifices needed to like be able to do what you want to do and what you love. And like when you find that passion, nothing feels so good as being able to do that. So it's, (laughs) it's like you don't really have to fight it. You don't really have to. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It just feels like. I would jump out of bed every morning and go to my little bathroom photography set or like whatever it was. Like I was excited by that life. And I think that's important too. Like to stay in this movement or wherever you want to consider yourself along a vegan path or trying to make a change in the world in any way, like finding things that you love and that like lights your heart on fire um, is so important. And then following those, like whatever it takes. Totally. So a huge part of your contribution uh, to the world and, you know, what you've been able to do in terms of influencing people, helping people, 
uh, to, to make this transition is through your videos on YouTube. What are some of, because you've done some fun videos, what are some of the, the videos that you've enjoyed the most uh, in terms of making them and, and sending them out into the world? Um, gosh, the, the, most, the ones that I've enjoyed the most are the ones that have made the biggest impact, which by far are my Draw My Life videos that I've done with um, my friend Sue, who's an incredibly talented artist, and she runs the site Meaningful Paws. Um, and it was actually kind of like a spontaneous idea. My husband all these YouTubers were creating Draw My Life, showing like the story of their life, where they were born, blah, blah, blah. And my husband was like, you should make one of those about animals. <laughs> and I was like, that's actually a really good idea. Um, and so I found the one person I knew who could draw, Sue. And I was like, all right, I'll put a camera over. We'll draw, we'll script this out and we'll create a Draw My Life from the perspective of an animal. So I think we started with chickens and then went to pigs and then uh, cows dogs like we've gone through a lot of different industries and the thought was that I couldn't bear to watch any more undercover investigation videos I could even from the start like I, I close my eyes it hurts so much I can't watch it and anyone that I know when I would share those on on my Facebook feed which I used to do often would would like be like all right Michelle I'm cutting you out of my Facebook I can't I can't see this stuff anymore or just like can't watch it understandably because it's really really hard and so I wanted to show the full story of the life of an animal that you could watch through hand-drawn illustrations that you didn't have to close your eyes to um and it's been incredible like each of those videos has reached over a million people and I get comments every single day from people saying that they're gonna go vegetarian or they want to and their parents won't let them or they're gonna give up dairy or they had no idea this was happening just and those were things I created years ago and they're still today. I mean, this is talk about the power of video. Like when you invest your time into creating something and you put it on the internet, it has the power to potentially for years or decades into the future be reaching people with a message and inspiring people to change. And so those have been like some of the most difficult to create because to create the storyline and and those drawings you have to first watch all the undercover videos and it's just like you're crying and it's just horrible and that but then to put it out there and now be able to sit back and I could do no work for two weeks and still have been turning people vegan is just like <laughs> it's just crazy like the power of video totally yeah and that's where I think like even Instagram now is moving towards more video yeah so video is super powerful people are engaging with it at a very high level mm -hmm. uh, compared to you know say like reading unfortunately i suppose but video is definitely taking over as like the prime uh, media outlet platform right. and it's beautiful because video used to be a very um, you needed a videographer to do a video. That's why sanctuaries would hire me to come do videos of like their animal stories and stuff. Um, but now you really don't need that. And actually people, I've been hired by companies that have said, I don't want you to use your professional camera. I want you to look casual. Like I, people connect better when you're being your authentic self and you're like waking up in bed in the morning or like showing what I'm eating in the day. Like they seem such silly videos, but it's like what people want to watch and what people connect. People want to connect with fellow human beings and feel like they're talking to a friend or they're just real people. So 
a lot of my more polished videos, which as someone who had a passion for like film and photography, I really loved going that direction and like filming really beautiful videos and stuff. But a lot of them, other than the Draw My Life videos, did not get a ton of traction. It was like the more casual day in my lifestyle videos that would uh, make a bigger impact with people, which is something anyone can do and everyone does now do like they go on Instagram and are showing what they're eating and as much as that may seem like oh gosh you're posting your food again like you're posting your food again you're giving people a bright delicious example of what they can eat plant-based and the impact of that like you'll never be able to know how many people you impact by doing that exactly even if you impact one person Mm -hmm. that you don't know yeah it's huge getting that message from that one person right the, the first person you're like wow yeah. Like, and if you get a message from one person, like I guarantee you there's 10 others at least who have just not said anything. Like I've heard it from someone a decade later who said like, oh yeah, I went vegetarian in college because of you. And we were like best friends in college. And I was like, I had no idea. Like I had no idea you were even vegetarian. And like they never told me. And yeah, you, you influence a lot of people that you'll never know about, which is like pretty cool as well. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, the the ability to put that piece of media out into the world and just let it go is powerful. Right. You you know, those videos that you've created, there's no timeline. Right. As to when they'll be existing. And we've got a long way to go in this this world of moving towards a more plant based diet, helping people transition. Mm-hmm. So they're only gonna gain more and more traction as this becomes more and more necessary for people in their life so right yeah and I mean I do want to say because I'll put a lot of videos out there that do not get traction and don't go very far even though I have a channel that's been around for 10 years and so it's not I think a lot of people start creating videos which is awesome and don't see that steady growth over time and get really discouraged but instead of getting discouraged I'd encourage people to just like mix it up a little bit see if you can try and share the message in a different way like you can really YouTube tells you the people will tell you in the comments by the number of views you're getting you you can get that feedback immediately on what's resonating with people and what's not and if you just like try and spin the message in a little bit of a different way or be a little more creative with your videos you could very easily land on something that really does connect with people and then follow that. Yeah. Really nice advice. It's, Mm -hmm. um, it can be discouraging again in this world of like instant feedback that if it's not coming in big numbers that we, we get discouraged or we quit even. Yeah. We quit something that was, we were passionate about it. Right. uh, We really enjoyed doing, but that's a, that's a nice way to look at it. If we can just flip our perspective and again, further our creativity, try something new. It might be the most receptive way uh, for people to take that that media. And it's like, by being vegan, we can be vegan our whole entire life and uh, we can make a huge impact, obviously, cutting out the animals that we're killing and the environmental impacts, all all the positive impacts that we're making by doing that our whole life. But then if we do something that inspires one other person to go vegan, and it can be as simple as like taking vegan outreach leaflets and handing them out for two hours and you're likely to turn someone vegan, you've suddenly doubled the impact you've made your whole life. <laughs> like, and it takes, like, you don't have to work your whole life on helping that person. It's, it's a very small amount of effort to create a huge doubling impact 
to something that you've already, I mean, if you're living vegan, it's something you care about. You're making choices. You're doing something different than your friends and family. You're going to have to order specifically at restaurants and it's easier and amazing and delicious and it's no sacrifice at all, but it still is like you're, you're working at that. Um, so yeah, I, I just, to anyone out there who's using what they have their voice or, um, just sharing pictures of their food on Instagram or talking to their friends or whatever in a bright and positive, inspiring way um, is just so powerful. Keep going. Yeah, keep totally. going. <laughs> now, the topic of perfectionism yeah. in the vegan movement is something that I feel like is kind of coming to a head <laughs> in, the, in, you know, in, the, in the current time with just with things like the Impossible Burger. Also things like the lab-grown milk mm-hmm. and ice cream. There's a company called Perfect Day and I've seen some vegans introducing Perfect Day to their, their follower base and seeing a lot of negativity, negative reaction without looking at, I suppose, the big picture of, of where these products are meaningful and necessary mm-hmm. to progress this whole movement forward what's your take on the whole argument i think the idea of perfectionism as it relates to veganism is extremely dangerous and harmful (laughs) i think uh it's a great thing to strive for but to expect yourself or anyone else to be perfect in a very imperfect the world that we live in um, is not realistic and it sets people up to be constantly disappointing themselves often to give up because they feel it's too hard to feel judged by everyone around them and especially to like when you step into vegan living or plant-based living um, you're stepping to a very new and different space where you have to learn a lot and having people there to kind of hold your hand and show you the way and guide you and support you as you navigate that and grow into a more confident and uh, well-versed vegan um, is super, super helpful. And part of that is like, yeah, showing all of the great vegan options. But when we focus on the imperfections on thing or on expecting everyone to be making every single um, decision as the perfect right decision, it, it just kind of like chokes up the process of progress because first of all it's impossible to be perfect you know it's like do we wear contact lenses do you have plants in your house because the soil has animal products in it most likely if you get it from any store ever do you eat vegetables they are grown in animal manure with probably fish blood and all sorts of stuff if it wasn't grown veganically which it's pretty much impossible to find all of your fruits and vegetables grown organic veganically and if they do do you ever eat at a restaurant because they're not getting them that way like I mean, there's there's so many layers to um, trying to trying to be the best that you can be, which I think is so important. Like we all want to try and be the best that we can be, but being per- expecting yourself to be perfect across every um, category and platform and uh, ugh, is just exhausting, tiring, and it's not um, it's not something that people who aren't extremely passionate would feel pulled towards. Like 
it's something that would actually probably be a huge turn off to a lot of people who are thinking, I could, I could never eat vegan. Like you're not going to get them to eat vegan by saying, well, if you just read every ingredient label that you ever do and like go to the restaurant and ask their waiter, like for your ingredients, like it's not that bad. That's not the way to um, entice people into living a, comp- a more compassionate life. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even just your reaction to that, right? Right. It's an exhausting thing to contemplate and to think about that. Unfortunately, we do have to navigate this space. Right. Um, So, yeah, it's a tricky one. And it's extra exhausting because I've seen the people on the other side. Like we, um, Tony and I created this mini documentary called the Seven Days Documentary where we got this guy Raul um, to eat plant-based for seven days. Before then, he had only ever really had fast food, had never made a home-cooked meal, all the things. And he was so eager and encouraged and inspired to be like eating plant-based and learning the ways and what does vegan mean? And he was just like on such an awesome path. And so he started sharing stuff on social media and most of the responses were incredibly positive. Way to go, Raul. Keep going. Like, don't worry if you slip up. Like, so, so positive. But every once in a while, there'd be a person that would be like, dude, you just had a jello shot on your birthday that has gelatin in it, which I didn't know gelatin, jello had gelatin. I didn't know gelatin came from animals like until I was probably vegan. Like I didn't even know that when I was vegetarian. And just those few negative comments, even in a whole flood of positive, made him shut down his social media and feel like this isn't something I can do. And it's just so heartbreaking seeing people come so so far and want so badly to be like taking this step and uh, just to have like a few harsh words or idea just non it's just so important to be understanding of where people came from and where we came from like very few of us were raised vegan and if you were it wasn't your choice it was your parents choice like we all have a path and we're all trying to do the best that we can and so if we take that approach of just assuming everyone's trying to do the best that they can and so when you want to point something out something's not vegan bring up a topic instead of being judgmental and saying you're doing this wrong or I can't believe you're doing that or like I thought you cared like instead being like hey did you know this and what do you think about this and like starting a dialogue like especially with plant-based meats I mean that's something that's dialogue worthy you know it's like it is an imperfect um you know animals were tested on to create a plant-based meat product that's then going to save bazillions of animals, this is still something that's worth a dialogue about. You know, it's a it's an ethical inconsistency that you have to like work out in your own mind to decide where you stand. But to come at people and say this is the right way or this is the wrong way is like not helpful. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't stand behind something like the Impossible Burger, where Yes, they had to test on animals to get basically like FDA approval, right. something along those lines. If you don't agree with it, you don't have to purchase it. Right. But from a big picture perspective, if you can understand and empathize with the meaning of why that product exists, mm-hmm. the people who are going to be likely to be purchasing it and the amount of animals that it will in turn save, you can then weigh it up. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, understand, okay, right. I'm not going to buy it. It's not for me, but I do support its progression into the world. It's important. Right. So, 
Yeah, I think those are very personal decisions. Do you want to eat something that was grilled on a or made on a surface that meat is also cooked on? That's a very personal decision. I mean, for many people, it'd be like, you know, that's disgusting. That hurts my heart. Like, I just can't do that. But when it comes to helping animals, it doesn't actually make a difference for animals. Like, no more animals are going to be killed. You're not purchasing meat things. Like, in fact, you're probably helping by buying the veggie options at a place that's not very, very, very vegan friendly um, or buying the vegan options. And so, like, by making that, by achieving perfection in your own life and saying, I never touched meat. And putting yourself on like the high horse of being like, but you did and that's wrong is like, that's where I think it's not okay. To make that personal decision, great. But it's when we start judging other people for, um, for these lines that are not, that are not helpful to animals or not helpful to whatever, whatever the goal is, um, that can be just really harmful. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. In terms of things that people get, I suppose, struggle to move away from. Yeah. Dairy and cheese, mainly cheese, I would say. We hear it time and time again. Oh, I could never do it. I could never go vegan because I just love cheese. Right. I mean, yeah, if I had a nickel every time I heard that, I'd have a lot of nickels. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. It is a common answer. Now, you've created the Dairy Detox. So where did this come about? Another one of your, you know your many projects that you've um, you've executed. Where did it come from? What was the idea behind it? And how are you helping people move away uh, from those products? Yeah, so that's exactly why we, my friend Allison River Sampson um, and I teamed up to create the Dairy Detox was because that was one of the biggest things that people would come at us with is I could never give up cheese. And we're like, oh my gosh, if you only knew, like you totally don't have to give up cheese, you know, especially in this day and age. Um, that we wanted to, to again, like create a course that provided sort of like a, a hand-holding, a friendship, the education um, in a very just like casual and fun way that could help people make this transition that many people seem to want to make. Like, I don't want to be addicted to dairy anymore. I don't want to be eating this, but it just seems so hard. And so we're like, okay, look, just give us 12 days and we promise it won't be so hard. Um and yeah, it's been awesome. I, actually, when we first came together, it was um, pretty soon after I uh, started World Vegan and I had left my jobs and I was just trying to figure out how I could best use myself and my skill set to apply to making a difference in the world. And so Allison had, she ran one of the first online vegan bakeries, gourmet vegan bakeries um, and chocolate shops for a very long time, Allison's Gourmet. And so she was feeling ready to do something else and something different and something more as well. And so we came together and we're like, let's create a course. Like, and we were initially thinking how to go vegan course because so many people want to know how to go vegan, but we really wanted to reach beyond the people who already know they want to go vegan because I think a lot of people who want to go vegan will figure it out like there's a lot of resources online they look online there's a lot of how-to guides and like once you have that like I don't know fire in you like you you're figuring it out um and we wanted to hit people who before that who didn't even like who wouldn't even really know what that word meant yet and dairy was a we figured was the perfect kind of like gateway to start that process. But in the course, like we have a day that's focused on the dairy industry. So we talk about, you know, dairy cows and what they go through. We have a day that's focused on the environment. So we cover a lot of like the practical and like 
try and make it fun and friendly and how to, how to make your own almond milk and stuff. But then we also, toward the end of the course, um, try and bring home kind of the, the heart and what, what really um, is going to hopefully help people stick with this once they realize it's not that hard and they see like the meaning behind making a choice, like cutting dairy out, um, hoping that that would like give them what they needed to like step into that path in life. Definitely. It's, um, it's a horrific industry. Oh, it's so uh, horrific. It's truly a horrific (laughs) industry. And yeah, when you get those moments where you're able to see what really goes on, um, it's, it's hard not to be saddened by it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel especially for people that are mothers or are going to be mothers like yourself, that connection that you must have with, you know, growing a baby and then seeing that baby for the first time and then having it taken away from you. Yeah. Cows grow their babies for about as long as humans grow their babies in their bellies and experience the same things. Like they can feel the babies kicking. They just like, they know what's happening in the same way that we know what's happening Mm. with our bodies. And it's something that is, yeah, I mean, it's just the most heartbreaking part of the dairy industry. It's not, it's fascinating because a lot of the industries the worst part is the physical violence is, you know, the beak searing and the like wing breaking, (laughs) like tight conditions and all of that. But in the dairy industry, like all of that happens too. But like the most heart wrenching part is separating a newborn calf from their mom a few after like hours after they're born and like seeing the mom bellow for sometimes days, just like knowing the horrible fate that the baby is going to go into. It's just, (sighs) It is, it is. And when you weigh up what it's for, yeah, you know, creamer in your coffee, yeah, <laughs> milk on your cereal, it's like, yeah, sure. It's, you know, it's completely understandable why we don't think of the connection, completely understandable. But once you do make that connection, it's so incredibly difficult to even contemplate justifying why you would be taking that action Right. Especially when you go to a grocery store now and if you step to the left or the right, you have a wall full of <laughs> different options. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, stoked that you yeah. created the course. Yeah. Um, it's- yeah, super important. And I feel like you are probably still hitting people that want to go vegan because mm-hmm. maybe not everyone is driven to doing it all themselves. Maybe the last hurdle they have is finding a product like that where they can go through a course and step-by-step be taken through how to ditch that last thing. Right, or go from vegetarian to vegan. Like I wish that that course had existed when I did that because I, you know, in the same way, had to learn all all of the things over the years that could have been in just 12 days. Um, Yeah. Definitely. Now, I suppose... The next phase of your life, introducing another human to <laughs> yep. the planet. Um, some things I wanted to talk about. We probably do have to um, wrap it up. You call it whenever whenever okay. you like. We're approaching an hour now. Um, but I, I really wanted to talk about firstly weddings. So like mm-hmm. an, an event where either if one half of the couple is vegan or both are, how they start to comp- contemplate executing that event in a way that 
is true to themselves, but also inclusive of uh, family, friends that will be attending. Uh, and then secondly, introducing a baby to the world and how to approach that as someone who is plant-based. So we can tackle the vegan <laughs> wedding first, if you, if you like. Sure. Yep. Yeah, well, you guys are getting married soon. So <laughs> we got to talk about it. Have you guys shared that yet? We've shared it with a lot of people okay. in Australia. No, oh boy, cut, <laughs> cut, cut. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. There'll be some surprise people out there. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, getting married is such an exciting, fun, beautiful time. Um, my husband and I had been together, or so, but I guess wasn't as been at the time, but we've been together for, um, gosh, living together for at least five five years. Been together for like maybe. Long, longer than that before we got married and um so even though like we were already living together we already had like basically married people life weddings are just so fun and beautiful and magical and special and just I had every bit of w- wanting a day that was really special and meaningful and for other people not to be obviously just like judging you the whole time and stuff but for, for me and my husband, my husband has also been vegan for more than 10 years now. So we had that that easy, we didn't have to have the struggle of, of um, trying to decide whether or not we wanted our wedding ceremony to be vegan. Um, although I'm definitely more of like a vegan activist and Dan is more of like a, a normal person that happens to be vegan. <laughs> And so for him, like, had I said, no, let's have, let's have whatever the family wants to have, he probably would have been down with it. But for me, it was just never, that was never in my heart. So I, I was always like, it is super me- important and meaningful to me to have, to have a fully vegan wedding, which I thought that was the end of that uh, conversation and that it was as simple as that. And we did go on and have an, an amazing vegan vegan wedding we worked with a caterer that had never done a vegan um wedding before because all the ones that had were like super expensive and we were on a budget and they did a great job we shared some recipes with them they did awesome found a vegan wedding dress made sure there was no silk in the flowers (laughs) like all all of the different components um got like the groomsmen all ties that were silk free so we we really did like go to the nth degree to make sure that our ceremony and our wedding was fully vegan because we could easily control that (laughs) but it wasn't actually that that simple across the board because Dan's family in Ohio a lot of them couldn't come out for our wedding and so his mom wanted to throw us a whole nother celebration and ceremony in Ohio uh, the following month so that everyone there would have a chance to celebrate with us which we were so grateful for and just like oh my gosh that's wow I can't believe you're doing that cool but it it was definitely like she we had nothing to do with planning it it was her money her investment her friends her family like mostly people I had never even met and so I didn't even honestly at the time think about saying hey we want to make sure this is all vegan um and it wasn't until I got there that I was like wow this is weird having an event that's like surrounding me but it doesn't feel like me like it, it was thrown for us and on our behalf but it, it wasn't our event and like it's it's not my favorite feeling because <laughs> if, if something's thrown in your honor like 
you want it to be representative of the things that you care the most about in the world. But it was also an just incredibly kind, general, generous and compassionate thing that Dan's mom threw for us. And it was food that um, she picked out and that the family would be eating anyway. And she had vegetarian and vegan options there for people. And um, yeah, that was that. I, I kind of walked away being like, wow, I never even like thought to like have that conversation about the food. But I'm and I don't know how if I did it again, if I would have that conversation because I just, I don't know. It's well, complicated. It gets back to exactly what we we're talking about, right? right? So imperfectionism. Right. Big picture. Right. All of those things, I think, are exactly this event. Yeah. Uncomfortable. It would have, <laughs> I can imagine it would have given you some kind of de- inner debate about like the identity mm-hmm. of veganism in yourself right what other people might think as you're like quite large in in the movement right in terms of um, how many people uh, know of you and your work so i can that must have been an inner battle but tell me if i'm wrong but letting go i mean things would have flowed much easier the way you tackled it than if you had a, had a conversation like that with, with your mother-in-law. Yeah, I mean, I think, bottom line, it could go either way. And really, when you're getting married, it this your wedding, any parties around you, any ceremonies, any whatever, they're, they're about you and they're celebrating you. And it is up to you how much you want to fight or negotiate with your family or your friends and everyone's in a very different situation there like my family on my side has been around me being a vegetarian since I was eight they would never have even thought of me having a non-vegan wedding so like that's easy and some people just do have it easy if they live in LA and it's like normal versus being in Ohio where you're like uh what (laughs) (laughs) um it just it is a personal decision what what path you take with that and I don't think that there's a right or a wrong one you're not a bad person for um for allowing someone to do something kind for you um Tony often tells the story where sometimes she would go she went to one of her dance events and some this woman made her a birthday cake and didn't know she was vegan and so she gifted her this cake and Tony was like thank you so much and she brought it home and she gave it to friends and she could have said thanks for making me a whole birthday cake but I can't eat that I don't eat that I'm vegan um and there would have been nothing wrong with that that taking that route but it's not always necessarily the best route for animals you just don't know what the best route for them is and so I think especially when there's a lot involved with getting married feeling what you feel comfortable with and doing what you feel comfortable with is super important. Especially if you're getting married to someone who's not vegan and their family is not very respe- receptive of you being vegan and then they're throwing you something or that what like to try and step into that situation and, and make demands that they might not quite understand why you're making them and it just seems difficult can make to that whole family veganism sound even more crazy and weird. And the cool thing is, like, since our wedding, um, a, two of Dan's cousins, like his closest cousins, have gone vegan. Both of them have gone vegan. And just having 
Dan and I as such like laid back chill resources for them that have never been pushy or extreme or just like we've just been a positive happy example that goes with the flow has helped so many people around me in my life and his life and our families, our friends um, feel comfortable taking steps in that direction and ultimately often going vegan because uh, they feel like there's no judgment here. It's not like there's these specific rules we have to follow. It's just a more comfortable space to step into. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's a beautifully well said kind of statement on <laughs> on on the whole topic I, I would say for anyone listening if you do want to go into this topic a little bit deeper and hearing three people share uh, their wedding experiences tony and michelle have a podcast called the plant powered people podcast very good I, I, it's a tongue twister the alliteration is like <laughs> one extra p than i would usually usually be uh you know good at rolling off my tongue but um I, I can't remember what episode number it is i can't remember but it's just called vegan weddings or plant-based weddings um yeah and go, go yeah. and check it out i think it's an interesting topic it's one we definitely haven't covered on the podcast before but if you want a little bit of a deeper a deeper chat on the topic go and check out their podcast also give it a rating Oh. Chuck them, chuck them some stars. It and definitely, this podcast <laughs> it, it definitely, it definitely helps people who create, yeah, you know, their own media continue really that passion. Yeah. Uh, I also have a wedding guide on World of Vegan. If if you want to have a vegan wedding and you're wondering what are all the components you have to think about and the different options that you have and even like cool things you can do for wedding favors, like I made a little. Um, booklet of 10 of our favorite plant vegan recipes and so our wedding favor was like a handmade little booklet of recipes and uh, so yeah have a bunch of ideas over there in our wedding guide at world vegan go and check that out too that's that sounds like a <laughs> a resource that you'd want to check out after the conversation so that's really cool the second thing and possibly the last thing we chat about on this episode is bringing a child into the world and what you're now confronted confronted with in terms of you know the questions you might receive on the outside with family and friends how you would like to bring that uh, that baby into the world and what you're going to ultimately feed them i'm sure it's an interesting kind of area to uh, to navigate yeah it's it is very interesting um in the general world <laughs> when you find out you're pregnant and you share that news everyone is so happy and congratulations and oh my god you're creating a life this is so magical and beautiful but um within the the vegan space it can be a little bit um more controversial than that for sure which i fully understand for a, the majority of my life i would have tattooed on my body i will never have children because i thought um it's bad for the planet we have too many human beings already if I ever had a kid I would want to adopt them and um I just thought it personally as a choice I would rather not contribute more human beings to the world <laughs> so I fully understand where people are coming from uh when they are sharing their disappointment in vegans having children or in myself having a baby which I have one in my belly right now <laughs> um I fully understand that uh and there's a lot of there's a lot of truth that truth to that. I mean, we're living in an overpopulated world. We don't have enough resources. Every human being that 
is created is consuming a lot contributing more plastic i mean who knows if they'll be vegetarian vegan meat eater doesn't matter like any path they're going to be consumers in our world and consuming a lot um and it's something that i'm super acutely aware of (laughs) um and it it wasn't like a, a simple really decision for me because of that um but uh it it's a path that my husband and I decided to go on to decide to have a kid. And, um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. I shared that with my mom and she was like crying and so happy because she thought for, I've, I'm an only child. And for so long, she thought she would never have a grandkid, um, because I was never going to have kids. And so, uh, yeah, it's been interesting just getting such a, a mix of responses, but also fascinated as I try and like work through it all. Like I work, try and work through it all in my head um, because my whole life I've dedicated to trying to make the world a better place and do everything that I can to um, alleviate suffering and just not be contributing to more terrible things in the world. Um, yeah, but things have kind of shifted my viewpoints a little bit um, just from some experience that I was adopted as a baby and I grew up, I had amazing, my parents were amazing, grew up, had a great great life um and then I found my birth mom 10 years ago and I was just blown away she I never met her since I was a little wee baby and born she actually went vegetarian when she was eight years old and I went vegetarian when I was eight years old and she went like on and off but when I met her for the first time she had like a giant cow painting and was like donating to the SBCA and just like so she had this inherent compassion and and care for animals and the world and the environment that I had I didn't grow up around like I grew up around my dad would throw rocks at cats and like my parents wouldn't let me have any animals and like didn't get didn't get that compassion for other human beings and like that greater mission that wasn't really a part of my upbringing um and I saw that in my birth mom and then I found my birth father about a year ago a little bit more than a year ago now and I saw so many other pieces of myself like the um also just compassion and looking inward and really being thoughtful of other people and um like the entrepreneurial spirit and just so many elements of like that are core to who I am I saw 100% came from him and it just made me a little bit more conscious of like it changed my feeling about DNA and who we are as human beings because I always used to think I am who I am because of how I was raised um that it's like nurture over nature like DNA is just what we look like and I've kind of definitely shifted my opinions just based on my own personal experiences now I I feel like there's an element of compassion that is genetic like that that some elements of who we are are carried through our genes and if we have the whole population of people who are like the most compassionate in the world not having kids um I just that's a scary thought to me of how we're then shifting the population and the type of genes that are carrying forward in our world. So that w- that was like one element. But I also thought about other things like with being vegan, I can be vegan my whole life and it's the same impact as if I go and leaflet for two hours. Similarly, I could choose to adopt a baby and save a baby's life rather than having my own. Um, But there also has to be some amount of money that I could donate to Planned Parenthood or uh, resources that are helping um, young people learn about 
protection or safe sex or like any number of things that could help prevent unwanted babies from being born that could make a way bigger difference than me making that my life path. And so I I think that the situation is a little bit less black and white as I used to see it, although I still completely understand that that thinking. Um, I think it's a little less black and white and I also... I can fully take it when, when people are um, like dish, dishing out about my pregnancy or saying that it's not good for the world. I can take that. But I also, as people who create things on the internet, we, we learn how to take a lot and, and let it go. Um, but I get really defensive of, I feel really defensive of the other moms out there who are probably also getting that level of judgment and seeing those messages where you're really doing a terrible thing if you're bringing a life into the world and I feel really protective of them because it can be really painful to have um something that should be such a positive special like time of like you connecting with your baby and, and bringing a baby into the world and having that underwritten with this thought of I'm a terrible person and this child is bad for the world like that's like a crazy thing to have going on in your head about your own baby and it's like I, you probably hear me I'm getting kind of emotional but like it's I just think that it is not the best way to be um, advocating for a reduced population is not hating on the people who are having kids there's so much we can be doing to be working on um, making sure that kids are brought into this world in a really conscious and compassionate way and kids that are actually wanted. And there's a lot of work we can do on that front. So I think, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a complicated situation that anyone who's like deeply into the vegan sphere or is an activist or identifies as like a world changer is probably going to face, um, like having to answer to those, to those like comments and stuff. Absolutely. And I think if anyone listening wants to ask a question or continue the discussion, because dialogue is open dialogue is how we start to understand more about these topics, not the hate mm-hmm. that you were talking about, because it kind of ends there. You don't want to engage in a conversation with someone that's right. throwing hate at you. Right. But there are great questions like yeah. that are I don't know the answer to as you think about it, you know. So we just have to hash them out, (laughs) speak about them. So please, you know, message me uh, during the week uh, or whenever you listen to this podcast episode, message me. I can message you Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) we can continue the discussion. Mm -hmm. Super important. Yeah. Now, I I really want to wrap this up. You you alluded to your your birth mother and father. Mm Mm-hmm. Just quickly for us, what is it like meeting your birth mother or father for the first time? What is that experience like? I imagine it's probably going to feel something like having a child. But for my whole, the majority of my life, I had never known a single person who was blood related to me. I never knew someone who like looked like me from genetics, who acted like me, who was similar, like sibling, none of that. And I knew that there was a birth mom out there and a birth father out there, probably if they were still alive. But that's that's the extent of anything I knew about blood family. And so since I was a little kid, I always like imagined like, do I have siblings out there? I had to like dream about it, have different dreams with different characters being my birth father. Like I would just um, 
so deeply just want to know or be able to see who this person was and being able to um well I found my birth mom through Facebook and my birth father now through DNA testing which was never would have been possible before um was like the craziest most emotional magical amazing incredible experience of my whole life um yeah it's it's just like mind-blowingly crazy and meeting my birth mom was one thing because she obviously knew that she was having a baby and gave me up for adoption and um made made her peace with that um and when I found her I just really wanted to say you know thank you for my life and everything you went through and I and if you want to have a relationship I'm here um but with my birth father he never knew that he had a child out there like he was never told he um he just had no idea I, I existed. So a big part of what was unsettling in me was knowing that there's a guy out there that doesn't know he has a child, which is crazy. <laughs> so being able to like uh, just settle that even and just let him know and and say thank you because I exist because of him and everything was, was really special. Yeah. But Beautiful. also like controversial wise... I put out a video of us meeting for the first time and connecting and um, just the emotion. It was a really powerful video. It reached a lot of people. It was like on news channels and stuff. And then I had people coming to me saying, um, oh my gosh, this is the best reason to to share with people uh, for why we should be pro-life. And I was like, oh crap. <laughs> what if I like, opened? Because I am not pro-life. Like I would, have abo- I would have recommended abortion in this situation. And I'm very like... Um, much stand up for a woman's right to choose and think that oftentimes the most responsible thing that you can do is make that decision but that most difficult decision but um that was like where you put stuff out on the internet and you always think like I'm putting this positive message is gonna you know inspire people to keep looking for their birth family or like if they get that message to respond positively so this child who grew up wanting to know would have a better experience and I just only thought of all the positive things that were gonna happen because of it and then I was like oh no what have I (laughs) what have I done (laughs) yeah yeah I wasn't I wasn't thinking that (laughs) when you were going through that whole story right I was actually about to lead people towards your YouTube channel yeah I was like and if again if you want to go check this out go yeah go and check it out on online yeah, I mean, it's almost with everything nowadays. Yeah, you know? well, then it's another reason, like, just even when, I think especially when you have a platform and you're sharing things, you should be a little bit more careful about what you're sharing. Make sure you're spreading a message that's going in the right direction that you want. And I think I am still would have put it out again because I think for the vast majority, it's really not giving that message. It's just kind of giving the people who already have that idea in their head a, an extra um resource totally. I, I mean, guess I don't know but yeah but um but being okay being imperfect being okay sharing things on when you're talking to someone or online or in a video or whatever that is authentic and real and even if you look back a few years later and you're like why did I say that like oh that was so wrong or I can't believe I did that it is okay to mess up it's okay to do things that are imperfect it's okay like uh just sharing sharing our stories authentically and allowing ourselves to slip up and allowing each other to yeah be imperfect i think is so important and allowing yourself to evolve because you're allowed to change your mind totally you know you're allowed to change your mind yeah but having said (laughs) all of that i feel like we covered a lot a a lot today and there's my life i really (laughs) 
I really do appreciate <laughs> the time and the flexibility as well because I've gone about 23 minutes <laughs> overboard here. Thank you. Um, but yeah, thanks for the space. Thank you for your work. And yeah, I just can't wait to continue following you and Tony uh, together because you, you know, you're a absolutely awesome <laughs> vegan duo um, doing doing amazing stuff. So Michelle, thanks very much. And yeah, hopefully, I don't know, maybe one day we can do another podcast with the two of you together. But yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. It really is uh, so meaningful that you wanted to have me on and I love everything you're doing and with your podcast and just the authenticity you bring to everything and just the great questions you ask people that dig a little deeper than just the normal surface talk um, is so important and such a beautiful thing that you're bringing to the world so yeah thank you I appreciate that <laughs> thank you very much and uh, yeah we'll stay in touch awesome thanks Michelle hello again veggie mates I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Michelle Kane She's one incredibly inspiring human being, truly down to earth, and I'm so stoked that we got to share this chat with you all today. As we mentioned earlier in the conversation, if you do have any questions on any of the topics that we've covered today, please feel free to reach out to either Michelle or myself through Instagram direct message. I'd love to continue the conversation with you if there's anything you'd like to add or dig deeper on. Once again, if you do have a minute or two spare today before you put the phone down, it would be so much appreciated if you can leave a five-star review and rating through the Apple Podcast application. We're getting very close to 100 worldwide reviews. I think we're at about 87 as we speak, which is quite amazing uh, to think about. And I have you to thank. So yeah, a huge a uh, huge shout out to those who have already taken the time to do that. Next week, we'll be chatting with Damien Clarkson from the UK events company, Vvolution. Can't wait to join you all again for a chat with another leader in this movement. Until then, keep it plant-based. Move your body a little bit this week and we'll see you all next Saturday. <laughs>